With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Did you know Business Insider has a new podcast? It's called Household Name, and it's all about brands you know and stories you don't. Like how Donald Trump saved stuffed crust pizza, or how Blockbuster survived in Alaska, or the real story behind Trader Joe's Two Buck Chuck. Subscribe to Household Name for free on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. For Caroline Hirsch, this is success. This room packed with people laughing and having a great time. This is what it's about, people having a great time. From Business Insider, I'm Rich Filoni. Caroline Hirsch is a legend in the comedy industry. She's discovered or helped develop some of comedy's biggest names. People like Jerry Seinfeld, Jon Stewart, Dave Chappelle, and Michelle Wolf. She's the namesake and co-founder of the iconic New York comedy club Caroline's and the visionary behind the New York Comedy Festival. The festival turns 15 this year, and from November 5th through 12th, you can see some of the world's funniest comedians at 150 shows in and around the city. When she got into the business in 1982, Hirsch's only qualification was a love of stand-up. So back in the early 80s, I was working in retail. And I worked for a big department store in New York City called Gimbel's. And Gimbel's was closing. So I had two friends in the city at that time who owned bars in the city. And they decided they wanted to open up a cabaret. And they found this little space on 8th Avenue and 26th Street. And they decided to name it Caroline's. And they said, well, would you like to be a partner with us? And I said, okay, sure. Wait, why you know, did, we'll did, try that out. Did they name it after you before you were even approached yeah, with this offer? Almost, almost. <laughs> and I guess, you know, Caroline said that, you know, now it's a pretty popular name with, with around, but then it really wasn't. So it, it, was, it was fun. It was fun to be part of something to build early on. And did I know anything about it, about running a cabaret? No, but learned very quickly. I did know about the comedy business from growing up, and I always was a fan of The Tonight Show. So why did they approach you because you were just a fan of comedy? or like They were what friends. Were you... They are personal friends. Okay. So and they it, knew I wasn't working. They said, oh, why don't you come and do this with us? It'll be fun. So and that was – it was – what were you bringing to the table? It was just like, oh, we're all we're I brought all friends. a little bit of money. <laughs> that always <laughs> that helps. helps. Yeah, exactly. That helps. And just that I would be part of it with them and we wanted to work together. They okay. were really good operators. So we started out doing that, and we learned a lot. We learned a lot about the live business. But about a year into being a cabaret, we found that there weren't enough acts to go around that could draw people. So we had this idea, and we said, let's turn it to comedy. It was this time when David 
Letterman was going on at 12.30 at night and was bringing on all of these young observational comedians, which was Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld at that time. So that's when it was really emerging, like that style of humor. Absolutely. You know, we had the 60s, which George Carlin kind of broke out and George was known because he started that observational humor. And then like 20 years later, you had Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld kind of taking off from where he was on that. And then you saw a whole string of comedians come out of that. So we turned the club into basically doing only comedy. And we found that we were, you know, getting a great group of people coming in. We're getting all contemporaries at the time. So we were bringing in people that really were not appearing in New York City at all. And then we were drawing this young group of people to come in, which is kind of what, you know, every advertiser wanted was, you know, people in their early 30s. So it, it, it paid off for us in the end. So was it a matter of like doing research on these people? Or is it a matter of just seeing them like from the audience that like this, this person's got it? Right now it is after being in business for so long and seeing so many people. Mm-hmm. It um, is in the kinda, sense of like you, you get kinda, that click. You yeah. kind of get to know what's going to happen. But, but it takes a long time to develop into a talent. So yeah, we'll see some people that are just starting. I mean, just starting, that's, that's three or four years. That's just starting. And you'll see that they might have a, this little something, and we watch them. And that's really how we develop talent at the club. If you were to be in the audience seeing like a, an up-and-coming comedian, what would be things that you're looking for? A unique voice. And how a person finds that voice doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of stage time. It takes a lot of them knowing how to react to the audience, even changing a pronoun around might make the joke better. So at this point, stand-up wasn't mainstream yet? Oh, no. Oh, oh no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. No, it was like, it was like I had to, like, I had to beg them to come in. I said, you've got to see these people. This is part of our new generation of what's going on here. And then it started to click. It really started to click when Stephen Holden from the New York Times was calling me about some comedians that were going to appear at the club. And we started talking, and he said, you know what? This is not about the comedians. This is about Caroline's and what it is doing right now. When we had this article in the New York Times, it kind of pushed us over the top. And that also made for other comedians wanted to work there. Another thing that I learned from watching The Tonight Show, which I go back to, like a David Steinberg, he would say, well, you know, I'm appearing at Mr. Kelly's in Chicago. And I remembered that. And I remembered it again. I want to go to Chicago and see David Steinberg at Mr. Kelly's. So I got the idea that when Jay Leno was going on to David Letterman's show, that he always had to mention he was at Caroline's. So you had and that connection did. before he was even on the show. And then you could use him to like advertise the club. We did. We yeah. did. It yeah. was on marketing. It was on national play then because this went around the country. So now the country knew about Caroline's. So these were things that I had to put together early on opening that club. So things you learn because you have to learn them. So this was like a turning point. For it the was. Yeah. It was. It was. It seems then that like with this, you, you started to build a lot of momentum that kind of it created like a network effect almost. Well, it also but you also have to convince the industry that you are doing the right thing too. not only our customers. I had to convince the agents and managers that mm. this was a place to take people to. This was a place they needed to work. 
So we set that up also. So we're also known as a place to come to for comedy, but we're also known as an industry that treats the talent right, and we get behind them, and we do the right thing. So that's half of the battle there. And then you moved to Times Square, and that was before it was uh, like a a bustling place, right? Yeah, it was way before Mickey Mouse got there, (laughs) way before. What happened was I I had 8th Avenue spot, and then we went down to the seaport for about five years. And I really wanted to be uptown again. I wanted to be in the entertainment area. And Times Square was just about blooming at that time. It was making a turning point. And I went to look at one spot uptown, and that didn't work out. And I said, you know what? I really want to be here. So we took some space. I took some space in the building I am now. And it's worked out. So I've been in that space since 1992. That's 26 years in that particular space. Yeah. Even in that, it kind of seems like you you have an eye for like what's happening next, even in terms of like picking where you're going to have your, your place. It was. It was a good move. It was a good move. Yeah. And people followed. And they used Caroline's as, um, as part of the draw for a lot of other things that were coming around at that time. So, yeah, this year you've got the 35th anniversary of Caroline's. Yes. And the 15th anniversary of the New York Comedy Festival. Yes. So what is exciting to you right now in 2018? That we are still in business and we're still going strong, (laughs) considering um, what is going on in the city right now with restaurants closing, clubs are closing. But Caroline's is is stronger than ever. Um, I guess that's because comedy is bigger than ever, too. So um, we're really happy about, you know, what we've achieved at Caroline's. And we're happy about where the festival's going this year. So that, that makes us really happy. And we're excited about all the talent that we're able to secure for the festival this year. Like, what are some of the upcoming names that you're most excited about? You know, we find this emerging talent that we do kind of in the festival with comics to watch. And we also have New York's Funniest. You know, we were able to find, like, the people that are now getting well-known, like Michael Che, Michelle Wolf. There's this young man, Tim Dillon. So these these people break with us during the festival and then work at Caroline's and come through. And actually, even, listen, we, we had emerging talent years ago. Her name was Leslie, which is Leslie Jones today. So that those are the people that we find at the club and through the festival. What do you think is the common thread among all of these like up-and-comers right now? I, I think that all of those people worked on having their own true voice. They're all so different than one another. Every single one of them is so different. And that's really, like I said before, that's how you really stand out. That's what you really have to have to succeed. What do you think it is about your business that you've been able to like have this longevity? Well, I think I think basically what has happened is that we're able to reinvent ourselves every week. We're able to bring in new talent. Like a restaurant will have to change its dishes all the time, but we just change the talent that's at the club. And, be, and also because we do have quite a reputation in New York City after being in business for 35 years. I think people know where to go for comedy. It, it would be at Caroline's. And then, you know, we do things for the community. We have lots of private events at the club, branding with advertisers. Um, so it's all these new businesses that have also helped Caroline's stay in business for all these years and the festival. So, And you see that as like a, a week-to-week transformation? Yes, but Caroline's is kind of a week-to-week transformation. You know, on Monday nights, we'll have a new talent night where we get to see people that are coming up the ranks. We have a breakout series that we usually have once a week. Then we have New York's Funniest 
comedians around during the week, and then usually our usually our headliners are Thursday through Sunday. So we kind of have this little formula about what goes on. And with that quick turnaround, I mean, it, it happens in any industry, but in comedy specifically, something that could get a room full of huge laughs tonight, like a year from now, it might be met with like dead silence. Yes. How do you how do you stay on top of that? Is it looking at what's next or is it kind of like guiding where taste is going? No, we don't we don't guide the taste. I mean, I, I think the customer has has a certain taste that they have, but I think that we're always open to new people coming in. So, you know, starting out with Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, Bill Maher, Gary Shandling, and then finding the next, you know, John Stewart and that whole group that came up from there. So that's we, we're constantly doing that. The Dave Chappelle's. Dave Chappelle started on my stage. He was 19 years old. He was a little showcase act that we had at the club. And he evolved. Chris Rock was also another one. And he evolved. So we're constantly, it's, you know, every 10 years, there's a new group that comes through at the club. What would you say the current climate for comedy is right now? What's the current taste? So technology over the years has been responsible for what happens in the entertainment business. So when HBO went on the air, HBO was really helped us increase our business also because when somebody had a great special on HBO, people wanted to come out to see it. Case in point, Stephen Wright. And and when Stephen had its great HBO special, people came out to see him. So with, with today what we have is not only the stand-up specials, but we also have these YouTube stars that are around. Mm. So we kind of trace that also. We try to cover everything that – a little something for everyone. It may not be my general taste, but it's, it's what people want. So we give people what they want. That seems difficult in the sense that you have to figure out what other people would find funny, even if you don't personally. Yeah, well, that's, that's the job of a producer. You may not always feel that it's, it's right for you, but you know it works for other people. So it, it's part of what we do. In terms of like when HBO – started having all of these comedy specials, was that almost like, instead of, I guess, cannibalizing the industry, it was almost like a, if you bought a, a band's album, seeing them at Caroline's would be like seeing a concert or something? Absolutely. I always yeah. use that analogy because people used to say to me, well, we can see so much of it on TV or str- streaming now. I go, but that's the thing. You want to come out and see them in person. It's like going to the concert for the band's new album. It's exactly the same thing. And that still exists today, even Abs- with like Netflix and YouTube and things Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. The thing about like I said about HBO and about Netflix right now, it's kind of given the performer a platform. And that really makes people want to come out and see them. We had a young lady at the club uh, um, in the beginning of, like last summer I met Yvonne Oji. Yvonne's on Insecure. Yvonne came to do a guest set at the club. And I said, oh, Yvonne, you must come back and do a set. She came back a few months later and sold out. That's because all the young women in the room that came to see her saw her on Insecure and wanted to see her. So it does help somebody's career. What do you think about in terms of what people's sense of humor is like these days? There's a lot of talk being like this generation is so sensitive that you can't play offensive stuff anymore. What do you think about that? Well, it is sensitive. And I think that people are kind of minding themselves a little more on stage. And I think um, I've always been asked how are the, the male comedians handling all of it? I, I think that they're much more respective, and I think that people have to really watch what they, watch what they say. I mean, they're respectful of, of women at this point. 
if you if comedians a common thing that you'll say is like oh i can't if i have to police myself i can't be a comedian anymore what what do you say to someone like that well the thing about your art as a comedian is that it really needs to be true i mean that's why you will see sometimes comedians crossing the line in not a good way because they just think it's it's pushing it's always pushing that idea that they have and the worst thing that really can happen to a comedian is when they kind of get a TV show and then the producers try to change what they are. And that's a bad thing. Looking at Me Too specifically and that whole movement and how it affected people like Louis C.K., for example, how has that affected your role in the industry Like as you see new talent and what your club is going to be aligned with? Well, we're, kind of re- we're, we're very respectful about the art but we would not tolerate something that was not right at this point. We we just wouldn't do it. Yeah. That person wouldn't be working there. Yeah. And had that been, I, I mean, in like such a, a male-dominated industry, was that something that you had to deal with through the years? You know, I don't think I ever really realized that it was so male-dominated. I just like everything else was male dominated at that time. So, you know, I never put my put any thought to it. But there happened to be, you know, two other women at that time that were running clubs. Um, Back in the early days. In the early days. Yeah. Um, you had Mitzi Shore that ran the comedy store. And Bud Friedman's wife in New York was running the improv. So you had two other women running clubs. So to me, it wasn't it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. But as I look back, I go, wow, uh, it was really, um, I'm kind of proud of where the club, you know, had, came from and kind of who it presented and, and as being successful as it is today. And in terms of regardless of like any gender dynamic or thing, just dealing with comedians in general, they can be like huge personalities, sometimes very difficult personalities. How did you learn to deal with those people? Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, early on, I tried to be like really buddies with everybody. Um, you know, I tried to be there all the time for them um, and developed great friendships with a lot of people early on. And I think that's that's how I'm able to kind of tolerate a lot of the behaviors. What look, do you mean? Look, to, you know, it's not that everybody is wants to, you know, it, it's a business. It's business. So sometimes you'll, you know come into contact with somebody that that won't do the press or PR. All right, if it happens too many times, then you're not working at Caroline's anymore. So that's just how just how it goes. Well, how you hadn't been in a, a management position before this, right? No. No. How, how did you learn how to like adapt to that? You just learn. You learn, you learn how to deal with people. It was a small club then. It was, you know, maybe 20 people or less working there at the time. It were bartenders and waiters and waitresses and two people in the kitchen and a, a, a lady that helped did press and, and that myself. And, and that was pretty much what it was. And I would sit there in a small office and pay every bill. I knew where all the money was going. I was able to keep, you know, where the food costs were going, where the liquor costs were going, and knowing all of that, where the advertising costs were going. So I knew every line about what we were doing. Um, and just learned. Then I learned years later that, you know, every week we should do a P&L report. So by doing a P&L report every profit and loss, yeah. profit and loss statement every week, I was able to keep things in check to see like, oh, 
that boot cost may be going high or that liquor costs or that advertising is out of line. And that really, you know, helped my business. But that's something that I decided to do. Yeah. So, so you learn. Yeah. You, you learn. It sounds like whether it was management or even like finding new talent, it was really just putting in the time. It's putting in the time and it was really by the seat of my pants, I have to tell you. But, you know, most ideas are by the seat of your pants, most good ideas. I mean, online shopping. Who, who came up with that one, right? How many years ago when they'd say, oh, you're crazy. That would never happen. Well, now look what has happened. So it's, it's staying with an idea and following through and working your hardest to see if it succeeds and not just saying, I, I have to work hard at this because I have to put the time in. I have to make sure that I've covered everything that could have gone wrong. And I think that when somebody does that, they, they kind of succeed or they pivot to something else. At what point did you realize that you had made it, that um, Caroline's was something important? I, I think in, in 1983 when, you know, we were hiring the, the first group of comedians coming through and, and then celebrities were coming in to see them and um, I had Jay Leno there one night and he said to me, oh, Robin Williams is in New York doing a movie. He's coming in. So you knew when the TV stars were coming in to see the comedians that something was going on. David Letterman would then come in and even look at talent. Uh, one night, Jane Leno was there and said, he said, David's coming in tonight to see me, but I really want to introduce him to Paul Reiser. And I think he had Paul Reiser open for him. And that's how Paul was known and you know, and then was on on David Letterman's show. At this time, this was when Judd Apatow was a kid, right? And he he would sneak in for interviews. That's something I didn't know till later <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah. So for background, this was he wrote in uh, his recent book that as a kid he would uh, get into Caroline's and sneak interviews with comedians like Jerry Seinfeld, pretending that he was like an actual journalist, but he just wanted these for himself. I think Judd was in high school at the time. And so he was telling me how he he was about 16 years old and he would sneak in and he goes, you know, I snuck in and I saw Pee Wee Herman. And he goes, and I went downstairs. Now I knew he was there because the dressing room early on was downstairs. And that's when Paul was working there. So I knew that he was, he really did come to the club to do those interviews. Yeah. And then like uh, a few years ago too, Lena Dunham, when she was accepting an award, said that she the first reason she even got into comedy and acting and creating was when she saw a show at Caroline's when her mom took her there. Yes, this is when she was accepting a Writers Guild Award. And she said, I just want to tell you why how I got into comedy. My mother took me to Caroline's one New Year's Eve to see Lisa Lampanelli. And she said, I just loved, loved, loved comedy. And I met Lisa afterwards. My mom got me backstage, and, and we met Lisa, and that was my comedy career. Years later, I run into Lena, and I had no idea, is that Lena graduated from our comedy class at Caroline's. She took the class, went on stage, and graduated from there. And so, you know, I love that all these, and I love that these young women are so into comedy. Yeah, how does it feel to, to hear stories like that in terms of, like, a, a legacy of something that you've built? I, I didn't know about what she said at, at the award show was sent to me, and I felt really good about it. I felt like, wow, that's, you know, I did something that people wanted. You know, I'll be at my office, you know, till early evening, and, you know, I'll walk through the bar, and then I'll walk through the showroom doors, and when you go in there and you see this room packed 
with people laughing and having a great time. It really makes me feel good. And it's, it's, I fulfilled my job as a producer because this is what it's about, people having a great time. How do you personally define success? You find the success in doing what you really love to do and happy to go to work every day, if you go to work. When did you realize that what you were doing with the club was what you loved to do? It, it made me very happy to, to see the payoff. When the festival comes around, it's, it's a week where we don't know where to go first because we do so many shows, and it's all good stuff. And it's like I have a big smile on my face during the festival because it's like, oh, what show am I going to go to tonight? <laughs> I see this one, that one, whatever else, and be all over town. And then I'm watching it. I'm, I'm in, like, the audience of the Beacon Theater, which is 2,800 seats, and the whole audience is so into the show. That makes me really happy. So it's kind of like making a product that where you want to be the customer. Sure, that's the best. That's the best product to make. Yeah. I mean, that is typically you might say what happened here. I was the person that loved the cabaret and the comedy shows, and then I was able to do it. So I kind of knew what people wanted. It's basically knowing what people want. And that's real. Is that just kind of like trusting your own instinct? I always trust my own instinct. I really do. As I get older and older, my instinct is better than anybody else's. <laughs> you learn. Yeah. You learn never to doubt yourself. And, and is there a point where you trusted your instinct ever and it just didn't pan out? I, I had a comedy-themed restaurant upstairs from Caroline's once, which was uh, – actually, it was a great real estate deal for me. It worked out to be. Uh, the concept was really hard to pull over, um, but I had – owned this fabulous lease, <laughs> and I was able to get out of it very gracefully, so it wasn't a total loss. Yeah. I mean, look, look, you can be successful, but lots of successful people go on to do other things, and they're not so successful, but they would not know that if they didn't try. So maybe the second thing, then the third thing works, and then the fourth maybe, but then everything else works for you. You, you don't know if it doesn't work if you don't try it. And, and you just have to try it. And if you were to give advice to someone who wanted to have a career like yours, what would you say? Oh, um, go for it. Why not? Why not? Um, mine is, my career is much easier than being on the stage. Being on the stage is hard. Being on stage takes a real talent. But to really be on stage, so co- comedy is probably the hardest art form you will ever find. I mean, it's much easier to be a serious actor than to be a comedic actor, even that part of it. But comedy is one of the toughest things to get under your belt. How come? Because you have to, you have to come up with this logic that's different than anybody else's and spin it around and make everybody in the audience wonder what's going to come out of your mouth next. And the other part of it is taking that community in the audience and having them relate to all the same stuff. That's what makes us laugh because we go, oh, that happened to me too. And that's why we laugh. So it's a hard thing to do. That's not easy. Well, you've had to have some of those skills in terms of finding what works. Yeah, like the same thing. You find yeah. what works. You have your challenges. Things don't work. You change it around. I mean, that's why, that's why it takes many years for a stand-up to be successful on stage. And by successful, I mean having a, a, a good act that they have. 
you know, not financially, but just some sound material that they can go out with. What is, uh, what is next for you, even beyond this festival? Beyond the festival? Well, you know, we have, um, there, there are other projects that I've gone into producing films and documentaries and busy doing that at this point, and then also developing my business even more. So we have this brand extension of Caroline's where people come to us now to say, how can we get to know your audience? And that's another part of our business right now, which we're expanding. So, you know, whether it's podcasts, whether it's, you know, video on demand, over-the-top kind of internet projects, they come to us for this. So that's kind of an extension of my brand. So we're constantly growing. I mean, years ago, I grew through the A&E show. Um, I kind of backed off a little with TV production, but I'm getting right back into that. We're doing more and more of that. So it's all fun. Yeah. It's it's all good. It's taking what we know and just spinning it around and, and doing it in another way. And are you hopeful for the, the state of the industry? Like, what, what would you say to a comedian being like, ah, oh, comedy is dead, stand-up is dead? Oh, no, my goodness, it's not dead. Uh, my God, you, you, I've never seen so many emerging comedians as today. And, 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 and I get asked by, by a number of you know, students in college that they want to come and intern because they want to work around the club because it's fun. I mean, the first day one of the interns is working there, and Neil Patrick Harris is doing this branded social media commercial for Jiffy Peanut Butter. And he was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he was here. It's like but there's always something going on at the club. And like I said, women. Oh, my goodness. Um, I've had only women assistants in the last maybe 10 years in my office, and they come out of college and want to be in the comedy business. And I said to one of the young ladies one day was working with me, I said, why did you ever want to do this? She said, well, I used to watch Jon Stewart on Comedy Central, and I always wanted to be, you know, to do what he wanted to do, and I wanted to be maybe a producer or writer on the show. So it's, like Lita Dunham, it's opened up this whole other industry, you know, and I'm, I'm, totally flattered that there was a bunch of young women that want to be involved in it. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn. Thank you. Thanks for listening to This Is Success from Business Insider. We have one more inside scoop about Caroline Hirsch coming up. But first, our show is produced by Anna Mazarakis and Sarah Wyman. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer, and I'm Rich Filoni. Help our show grow by taking a second to give us a rating in the podcast app. Who'd you like to see on the show next? Let us know in a review. It helps new people find the series, which lets us keep making great episodes for you. Before you go, we asked Hirsch to tell us a fun fact about herself, something most people probably don't know. I'm an avid golfer. Weren't you in, like, Golf Magazine or something? I was. Yeah. I was. Yeah. <laughs> that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Wait, when did you get into to golf? Many, many years ago. Yeah. Many years ago. Did you grow up playing it? No. No, not yeah. at all. But I kind of thought, like, mm, this is an interesting game. Yeah. It's all about you on the golf course and nobody else. There's nobody returning the ball to you. It's the only, it's the only sport where you are in control of hitting the ball yeah. and nobody's throwing it to you or whatever. We'll be back next week with Allie Webb, founder of the popular blowout salon Dry Bar. When her business grew, she had to bring in a new CEO. And finding one wasn't easy. I mean, I remember like seeing him from across the room and I was like, no, like, no way. Like, I, we, need, we need, like, someone cool. Like, this guy isn't cool. This is Success is a production of Insider Audio.